Welcome to Mayfield Baptist Church. We are very excited to have you with us here. We do encourage you to follow us on our social media, which you can access through our website at mayfieldbaptist.com. Please feel free to like and subscribe to this podcast to keep you up to date with our latest messages. We do hope you enjoy this recent message from NBC, that it may help you connect to God, grow in your faith and serve in your own context. So last week, we talked about how diverse God is, how he's created a multifaceted world, multifaceted people. We are all different in many ways. The world is different. His creation is different. And he has made us different, diverse and mixed, different to one another. Unlike the world around us, which wants to put people in boxes all the time, doesn't it? wants to gather people together into little clusters of the sameness. But we're called to be unified. And we know we're diverse, but we're still called to be unified. And that unity makes us stronger. Sometimes we struggle with that diversity, though, because we are different to the person who's sitting next to you. The person you sit next to each week, the person you come and meet with each week, is different. Because God has made each one of us to reflect who is, and God is a multifaceted God. And each of us has a different way of relating to God. A different way he had intended for us to be in deep relationship with him. So following on from last week, I want to look at those differences. I want to look at how he relates to God on a deep level how he has given us each a way of being in relationship with him. So just a quick recap. As Andrew mentioned, we did three of the different love languages last week. So if you can remember, we had sensory, enjoying God's creation through interacting with his creation, through creating. Create because your creator loves you. The rational language, understanding God through science, through the fact that he created and he is an ordered, not a chaotic God. There is reason and purpose to his creation. And doctrinal, basically the people who love theology, thinking the correct things about God. So this week I want to finish up by looking at the other six and then also looking at some repercussions of this. What does it mean when we live together with our different love languages? So let's launch in. Scripture-driven or applying the Word of God, living it out day to day, looking at how the Word is lived out, not just a theory or a collection of texts. So from Colossians, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Or James, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And from Philippians, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Scripture-wired people are primarily concerned not with theology, like the doctrinal person, but with the practical application of the word to their life and the world around them. How does it work out in their life? What behaviours and thoughts do they need to line up with God 
These feel close and connected to God when they read, pray, immerse themselves in the Bible, not as a textbook, but as a personal devotional that creates a living relationship with their God. The search is not for truth. It is for personal collection and the how to live, how it impacts their lives and the lives of those around them. Like I said, they echo James. What is it? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? They see that actions mirror their understanding of God. Their relationship with, his, with Jesus is expressed through understanding that God's word requires action, requires change. That faith is just not something you believe, it is something you do. Faith and action go hand in hand. Bible study is important and central but not to develop theology and doctrine, but to understand the call to a changed life, to learn how to live out the message of the gospel, what Jesus taught, to personally apply it to their lives. This language challenges us because it calls us to see the Bible as a deeply personal book that is called to change our lives, that it impacts our lives personally. It compels us to grow in action and to grow more in our Jesus-likeness become more and more the little Jesus as we are made to be. The next one, the sharing style. Sharing the grace and mercy of God. This language seeks to see God's love go out into the wider community through evangelism, through acts of mercy, through kindness, through social justice. In 2 Corinthians, we were therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And from Luke 9, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And from Mark 16, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. These people encounter God outside the church. They seek to find God by connecting with those who are not believers. <clears throat> They are wired to see mission as their primary goal. To see those who don't know Jesus to experience God's love in some way. Through either evangelism, through mission, through social action, by showing the love of God to those who have not yet seen it. They encounter God. Again, the Bible is key. The Bible is key to all these styles. Like the scripture language, it is applied. What is said and read is done. But unlike scripture, which focuses on personal change and personal application, sharing sees the message as for those out there. For those who have not yet seen or experienced God's love and mercy. And in giving it away, they find connection with God. These people challenge us to remember that the church has a mission. A mission to see the message go out to those who don't yet know. Who do not have, who have not yet seen and experienced God's love and mercy in their lives. <clears throat> Moving on to the ascetic. Being disciplined for God. From 1 Corinthians. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 
or Romans 12, a very famous verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And Matthew 16, then Jesus said, if anyone comes, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Whereas the sharing language seeks to give away the gospel, the ascetic seeks, seeks to give up, to give up those things which block or hinder their relationship with God, to free themselves from worldly things that hinder their journey. They are the minimalists amongst us, as they seek to remove all those things that divert their attention from Jesus. They seek to follow Paul's call from Romans 12. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. They feel connected and closest to God as they remove the obstacles this world puts in their path. Then it's just God and them. The church has always struggled with the ascetic language. Taken to its extreme, it can look like they're rejecting the goodness of God's creation. But what they are seeking is an unhindered, unblocked pathway to God. In their search for God, that unhindered relationship with him, they want to take those things that distract out of their lives through discipline, through simplicity, through giving up. They call us to the different life we are all called to one not governed, governed by possessions and the trappings of culture and society. They challenge us to see Jesus as our goal, as our objective. The enthusiastic language, celebrating the power of God and experiencing the supernatural. From 1 Corinthians 4, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. In Acts 19, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits fell, left them. The history of the church is full of God acting in incredible ways, not just in scripture. The enthusiastic language expects to see God act and sees it as a normal part of Christian life. They find God in his actions and in the supernatural world. Angels, demons are as real in this language as you or I standing right in front of them. They know and understand that there is an unseen and seen world and that God acts in both. They believe the stories of miracles in the Bible. They don't see them as just stories or parables to push ideas and concepts. And they expect God to keep doing this. They exude excitement. We all know charismatic Pentecostal churches. They exude excitement and expectancy, anticipating God to act and work, acting in their lives and in the lives of the church around them and in the world. Signs and wonders are a message to his people of encouragement and hope. God is alive and active in the world. They see and connect with the Holy Spirit, moving in the world and in the church and attempt to be involved in his actions. Often called charismatics, they connect with God through the power of the Spirit, in them and through them. For us, they help and challenge us 
to see that the power of the Holy Spirit should be a normal part of our faith walk. Because many times we block the Holy Spirit out. Because he's scary. They give, up a, they give us a glimpse of the unseen world and where God acts. The mystical language, resting in the presence of God, seeking the Holy Spirit who dwells within. From Romans 8, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And from the Psalms, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. The mystical language doesn't seek to explain God or understand him as such. It seeks to just be with him and know his presence in all things, especially within us. God is a mystery and can never be fully understood by a man. Any attempt to put God in a box is anathema to the mystic. He's completely alien to the mystic language. God's love and mercy towards us is beyond our understanding and can only be accepted but not fully understood. This is my primary language. Just be still in his presence, knowing the Holy Spirit is within each of us and just resting in his love and the acceptance that he has for us. The mystic is often lost for words. They don't know how to explain it. They don't know how to explain their relationship because God is beyond words in many cases. How can you explain a God that is beyond our understanding? Only through love can we truly connect with God. For the church, the mystic challenges our human attempts to codify and rationalise God and to tame him. To the mystic, the God that we love is unknowable ultimately by our minds, but only through love can we truly know God. The sacramental language, expressing the incarnation of God. From John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible is full of symbolism and liturgy. From God telling Moses exactly what to put in the new temple or tabernacle and how it all pointed to him, to the revelation and all the imagery in there. The sacramental language understands God acts through the physical. Communion. Baptism. The crosses we have in our churches, physical things help us to connect to God. God became a physical being to show us who he was and how he was. And through the physical, God still speaks. Sacramental language also holds strongly to tradition and is focused more on community than individuals. They see God's love and action through the continuation of the generations of the church. Now he has been faithful over millennia and how the church has been faithful as well. For the church, the sacramental language reminds us that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, of the saints who have come before us, and that God became flesh. 
and that the physical can be holy as well as spiritual. Well, that's the nine. Now let's some, some extra thoughts. I'm going to look at some strengths and some weaknesses and how they impact us. So let's look at the strengths. The sensory. They help us to appreciate the beauty of creation and how we can create. They help us to appreciate beauty as a whole. The rational helps us to understand that God speaks through science as well as faith, that they are not diametrically opposed. They seek to understand God's creation because he created it and we can understand that. Doctrinal, well, truth. Defining statements of faith and what is true and what is not true. Biblical focus on proclaiming the gospel and how it impacts our lives. Sharing, evangelism, mission, outward focus, seeking those who are outside. Ascetic, teaching us freedom from worldly ties and things that bind us. How we should live sacrificial lives for ourselves, for the church and for God. Enthusiastic, openness to the supernatural and God power, God's power, and how to celebrate, how to rejoice and be happy with God's work in us and amongst us and through us. The mystical, focusing on the inner life, dwelling on the mystery of God, helping us not to put God in a box and tame him because he is untamable. The sacramental tradition, sacramental language helps us to understand that tradition is there whether we acknowledge it or not and that it is a way that has lasted millennia and that we stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us and we owe them much thanks. But we also need to remember that each of these has a weak spot, a blind spot. I'm going to use some words here which I may need to un unpack for you. Sensory. Syncretism. Does anyone know what syncretism means? Basically, it means taking things from the world around us and spiritualizing them, but not in a good way. There can be too much focus on the external things, too much focus on the aesthetics. Rational, well, rationalism. Not allowing for mist mystical, un unexplainable things, for faith. And it can also be intellectual pride, because there's so much focus on the, our mind and our thinking. Doctrinal, cold rules. Love is absent. Scriptural, the verbal becomes the most important. And a good definition of this I came across was Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, where God's power and supernatural stuff is sort of pushed to the side. Sharing reduces can reduce faith to just soul winning and neglect the people already sitting in the church. The ascetic, not the aesthetic, 
can develop a martyr complex or a negative view of the world around them. Mystical. Feelings can overrule reason. Feelings become the thing that guides rather than reason as well. And sacramental can fall into a magical realm of the, the sacraments do magical things and start to neglect those outside the church. The beauty of God's plan for his church is that when we accept that there is differences and we work together, we balance each other out. Our weaknesses are challenged by others' strengths. Together we are stronger. Now, many of you over the last few months have been doing the gifting study and will be familiar with this three-coloured circle. This helps us to actually understand the problems we have with other doctrinal or other languages. Our weaknesses are balanced by those on the opposite side. And it shows how we struggle the most with people who are opposite to us. The rational person really struggles with the enthusiastic person. The aesthetic person struggles with the sensory person because one is trying to remove things and the other is trying to enjoy things. We need to understand, and this I think helps, as many other things throughout history have helped us understand how God works within us and through us, that those on the opposite side are not wrong, they're just different. And when we accept that and work with that, we both grow. We both become more effective for Jesus. We both become more effective for the church. Now, churches have languages as well, if you may have already thought that concept out. Just like us, churches tend to have cultures which mirror certain styles or languages. I'm sure you're thinking of certain churches or denominations right at this moment that mirror certain languages. So where does MBC fit? Now, having been at this church before I was born, I would say that Mayfield has a sharing language, the desire to see the gospel go out into the world, be it through evangelism, community work, outreach, things that happen outside the church, the focus on doing things into the community, mission, serving the community around us, children's homes, the school, Lewis House, now called Mayfield House, all our attempts to reach out to connect God's love with those outside. But even though Mayfield has a sharing style, there are other people here. Just because you're here doesn't mean you have the sharing style. Last week I talked about the research that's gone into this. And their research has pretty consistently shown that in any church where they do, the, do surveys and stuff, roughly about 25% of the people sitting there share the same language as the church as a whole. And then the other languages are all there, pretty evenly spread. So my challenge is, how do we work with those other people? How do we encourage them to connect with God better? 
even if we are a sharing church, how do we let the other love languages express themselves? We all need to know and accept and see how they can encourage us, grow us, strengthen us. Now, I've only just scratched the surface here. There's much more we can explain and go into. If you want to go deeper, you can come and meet me, talk with me, come on Wednesday night. Quite happy to talk. Always willing to talk with people who want to go deeper with God. It's actually called spiritual formation, getting to understand yourself, understand who God has made you to be and how you connect with God. Please do not think you don't need to look deeper into your relationship with God, that you're happy to cruise along the surface and not really go anywhere. That's not what God wants. We often read that passage in Revelation where it says, I stand at the door and knock. And we think, oh, that's about non-believers. If you actually read the verse in context, he's actually talking to believers who have shut him out. Jesus wants to come in and commune and eat and be with you. The question you need to answer is, how do I need to do that? I'm going to read a paraphrase now of the, verse I, the little passage I used last week from 1 Corinthians 12. The doctrinal cannot say to the mystical, I don't need you. And the rational cannot say to the enthusiastic, I don't need you. On the contrary, those languages of the body that seem to be different are more indispensable. And the languages that we think are less in line with our thinking, we treat with special honour. And the languages that we struggle with the most, we need to listen to, because they keep us on our toes and challenge us out of our complacency. Let's pray. Father God, you are a God of diversity. You are a God that has created a multifaceted world. And you have also created multifaceted people. You want a multifaceted church that is diverse but unified as a challenge to the world who is not. Help us to understand each other deeper. Help us to understand ourselves deeper. Help us to understand you deeper. You want the best life for us. You want the best relationship with you for us. But you give us the choice to step into it or not step into it. Help us to make the right choices. Amen.